It is time for midday here on the Rural Radio Network, and we get things started as always. SOP here to start with the round table. We've got uh, Bob Brogan and Jason Jorgensen, Susan Littlefield, all ready to go here on a Monday to get this week started off. And uh, we are joined by Susan, and how are things going in your neck of the woods today? Well, I tell you, it's, um, I'm actually in Denver. It is the 50th oh, yes. annual Board of Delegates meeting for the U.S. Greens Council. And we uh, first heard from the Commissioner of Agriculture for Colorado, and just like areas of Nebraska that had damage over the weekend, he talked about areas of Colorado where cornfields and soybean fields have been completely destroyed, pivots have been upturned, so it's going to be some frustrating times for for those in ag all across the upper Midwest. So, of course, our thoughts and prayers go out to everybody who's yeah, been certainly. dealing with it. So, lots of things happening from the farm team today. Of course, we're going to hear an update, and this is really kind of a cool thing. CHI Health, uh, a nurse practitioner in Omaha, started a community garden for patients. We're going to hear more about that coming up at 1219 with Alex. Then we head over to the happenings of the midday. Clay Patton will talk more about technical service director for Midwest Ag Energy that's based in North Dakota and the current feasibility study of using high-protein barley to be used in mm. foods like for now you're making ethanol, but for fish food as well. So that is something that's going to be quite interesting. And then at 117, it was something new they tried this year. It's called the Dairy Experience Forum, and we'll get more on what that was like from Chad Moyer at 117. All right. Community gardens, barley, and uh, dairy experience all coming up on eggs. Exactly. Thanks, Thanks Susan. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Jason, who who breaks in to Scott Frost's house? That's just... Well, that's who breaks into religion. anyone's house? Well, okay, good point know. there. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's take being the coach of the Huskers out of the equation. True. Jeez. That, that's, that's just an action or a concept that you or I and many of our listeners just wouldn't, Doesn't make any wouldn't understand. But uh, Frost has an estimated $165,000 in memorabilia taken from his home. Of course, all of this stuff was located in a home they were getting set to move into in Lincoln. It was going under a renovation. And someone got in there and had sticky fingers in the five five-finger discount. Well, and, and it looks like they they knew what they were going yeah. after, too, didn't they? I mean, this isn't furniture or cars or anything. These are things very important to him that he has won over the course of his uh, playing and coaching career. We'll tell you more about this story. Also, we'll get the thoughts from the coach on Nebraska's non-conference schedule. Of course, most of that has been set for the foreseeable right. future, but moving forward, he'd, he'd like to take on, he'd like to have more games like what we have coming up in September, when the Huskers will take on Colorado, right. he'd like to play some of the old Big 12 schools once in a while, which makes sense to me. So we'll talk about that. Also, it's that time of year for preseason polls. and Everyone's kind of jostling and wondering why, how things will work out and give you some preseason information coming up on the RMAC and a couple of other conferences. Of course, the MIAA, they will have their media days tomorrow in Kansas City. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Bob, how are things going in the financial world for you today? Tech stocks are pulling. U.S. indexes a little bit lower today, so things are a bit down. Twitter fell another 6.4% in midday trading today. Also, Tyson is citing tariffs and cutting earnings, the earnings outlook for the year. Uh, Also, Harley-Davidson says it's going to roll out some smaller bikes, electric engines maybe, online sales and it's kind of going to reinvent a few things and also uh, play some of these bikes in urban storefronts so those are some of the stories we're watching all right very good that's all coming up on midday
Huey Nelson on the World Radio Network as we rally in the grain markets today. Let's talk with Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics. Mike, we'll, we'll start off with the positive news here of double-digit rally in wheat. What's the story? Well, I think you've got Australia probably starting to join the list of the major wheat-producing countries and U.S. competitors that are going to be impacted by drought, Dewey. The trade has been aware of this, but it's been stuck in the northern hemisphere, and it's still watching Germany, and it's really watching our number one wheat exporter in the world, Russia, closely because they're now harvesting, and I think they've pulled in about 20% of their wheat at this stage. But now we're starting to talk southern hemisphere and Australia, and I think that's one of the things that really opens the door for the prospects anyway. Uh, if you get both hemispheres uh, getting a drought, that maybe we'll see a 550 retest. And we we have seen that in the soft red wheat today, a 551 and three quarters. But on a monthly basis, we have not closed above 550 since November of 2014, and we've only got one more day left in the month. So these next couple of days, I think, are real important for the wheat technicals on the monthly chart. We have weather issues, in, as you mentioned, in Europe and maybe in Australia and some other areas as well. Now, the corn and soybean market, are they based on weather or other factors? I think they are beginning to become more based upon weather. I think in the initial start of the trading day, it was probably a rising tide lifts all boats with the wheat up sharply and with the crude oil up 2% and the dollar down near its week to two-week low. Uh, we're starting to get a little bit more negativity built into the soybean market, and it's led by the meal, and it's led by the bean crush. And I think this may be because we're getting very close after today's close to see August contracts of soybeans, meal, and oil go into delivery. And so now Chicago becomes kind of the benchmark for the physical price. And it's interesting, today's new low in August meal of 331.40 is very close to the Chicago cash price in downtown of 331. So maybe we're adjusting and narrowing that spread. But today, after the close, we're going to have, I think, some fireworks one way or the other in the bean meal. We're talking with Mike Zuzlo of Global Commodity Analytics. Were the export inspections positive? They were very, very supportive. We had wheat uh, stay within the middle of the range at 13.9 million bushels. Uh, corn went over the highest range estimate. It went into 65.3 million bushels. You start posting 60 million or more on weekly export inspections consistently, and I think the trade will start to buy into USDA's demand figure. Um, beans, meanwhile, beat the highest trade guess as well by a little bit, coming in at 27.2 million bushels. Last Friday, cash cattle sales were a dollar lower than the previous week. Was that detrimental to the futures as well? I think the cash cattle sales were led by the fact that we couldn't go through that 110.60 area on Thursday in the futures, Dewey. I think the one led the other, um, and so they worked hand-in-hand. And, hand. and when we closed the week with bids and offers at 110 to 115, so no business being done, now we're back to 108.50 in the futures market, and I think the cash buyers feel like they have the upper hand again. Thanks for the comments. And you can get a free two-week trial subscription to Mike's newsletter by mentioning the Rural Radio Network when you go to globalanalytics.biz. That's globalanalytics.biz. Want to call Mike Zuzalo? His number is 866-471-2588. We've talked with Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics.
joined by Paul Perkins now as we take a look at the weather and just really mild uh, the last last few days. It was to me this was about a perfect weekend. I just love this cool weather. Yeah, those temperatures about ten to fifteen degrees cooler than normal over the weekend. Of course, and some lot of people getting some decent rains. Uh, a lot of areas that didn't get decent rains or maybe got. Uh, gone around by the rain uh, Saturday and Sunday, getting some decent rains this morning with yeah. some rains dropping south through central Nebraska was, and central and eastern e- Kansas. Equal opportunity rainfall, it seemed like a lot of people got it and we could use it. That's exactly. Cool. Yeah, especially as we head into the long-term forecast because it turns warmer and drier. But right now we still have quite a bit of shower and thunderstorm activity moving through south central Nebraska. Some of that activity right around the Aurora area. Otherwise, it's Tied to some showers and thunderstorms from south to Grand Island to north of Wood River up to about Ravana, Caro, and St. Paul. Then some lighter activity into north central Nebraska towards the Atkinson area. That activity dropping towards the southeast. Also some showers and thunderstorms still over central and east Kansas from Concordia and Manhattan down to about Hutchinson and Stafford, Kansas. In fact, we've had some heavy rain in the Ottawa County area of Kansas where a flash flood warning remains in effect until 1.30 where Doppler radar estimates about 2 to 3 inches of rain has fallen and flash flooding is continuing for about another couple of hours there. Temperature is very mild in the upper 60s to the low 70s right now. A few thunderstorms remain possible as we head into the afternoon on the backside of low pressure track to the east, but generally these thunderstorms will be winding down after about the mid to late afternoon as high pressure clears out the rain and clouds late in the afternoon and evening. Temperatures today look to be about 10 to 15 degrees cooler than normal. Overnight, some clearing skies will allow for some ample cooling, and temperature is expected to drop into the low to mid-50s, and maybe give that air conditioner a break for tonight. High pressure slides off towards the east tomorrow, and Wednesday, that'll begin a warming trend with some sunshine and south winds, also a sign of some summer-like temperatures starting to return. A weak cold front late Wednesday could result in some spotty thunderstorms. Otherwise, even warmer air is on the way for Thursday and Friday as the building ridge of high pressure just to our west starts to build over the high plains. A few disturbances tracking southeast on the front side of that ridge for the weekend early on could develop some scattered thunderstorms early in the weekend, but right now those rain chances also looking pretty slim. The outlook turns warmer to hot in the long term. It's likely Nebraska and Kansas temperatures will be warmer than normal this weekend through August 12th as a ridge of high pressure builds up from the desert southwest. And that is the same ridge that has brought record heat to uh, the Phoenix and Arizona area. And, of course, has been causing a lot of problems with battling the wildfires towards California. It's also going to be drier with a good likelihood of a low normal rainfall this weekend through the 12th. Key weather factors driving market trade include a mainly favorable weather pattern continuing in the near term at least for the Midwest and adverse weather in Europe and other countries affecting the corn and wheat crops. After today's rain, dry weather will return to the plains by midweek. That dry weather also overspreading the Midwest. Generally, cool weather will cover the eastern third of the U.S., but heat will develop across the high plains late in the week. In the near term in the Midwest, conditions will be favorable for pollinating and filling corn and also developing and filling soybeans with moderate temperatures and adequate moisture. In the central and southern plains, moderate to heavy rain and more moderate temperatures are easing the stress to corn and soybeans for the time being. Conditions in the northern plains also currently for corn and soybeans on the favorable side. In Europe, scattered rain is easing the crop stress, but significant losses to wheat production already occurred and some losses to corn also expected there. 
Okay. You know, this is a, an example of how strange things are right now. My brother is back in Nebraska. He lives in uh, kind of the suburbs of San Diego. Uh-huh. When they left... San Diego is 106. Wow. They landed in Omaha at 75. And I said, it's a little role reversal for this time of year. Really strange. Yep, exactly. You never know what you can get in all parts of the country. But yeah, we're headed towards a warmer and drier period as we head towards next week. So hopefully everybody got a good dose of some rain this week so we can at least put it to good use for the time being. There you go. Very good. Thank you so much, Paul. Paul, where do you you go when you're looking for weather? KRVN.com. Dewey Nelson with a market update on the World Radio Network and much of what has transpired so far through this session. We remain moderately to sharply higher in grain and soybean futures and lower in the livestock. September corn 367 and a half up five and a half. December 381 and a half up five and a quarter. March 392 and a quarter up five and a half. August soybeans 876 and a half up six. September 882 and a quarter up seven. November eight ninety two and a half up seven and a quarter. Chicago September wheat five forty six and a half up sixteen. December five sixty six and a quarter up sixteen and a quarter. Kansas City September wheat five forty seven. December five seventy four both up fourteen and a half. Kansas or Minneapolis September six oh six and three quarters. December six twenty and a half both up fourteen and a quarter. August live cattle now trading 108.57 down 5. October 109.92 down 55. December 113.62 down 52. February 116.97 down 40. April 118.22 down 47. August feeder cattle at 151.70 down 60. September 151.52 down 65. October 151.85 down 90. November feeders, 151.47, down 102. January, 149.95, down 85. August lean hogs at eight, at 63.50, that's down 15. But October's up 37 at 51.25. December's up 5 at 46.50. The Dow Jones 30 industrial average continues to sink, now down 105 at 25,345. But even more impressive is the NASDAQ down 104 at 7,632. Hey, University of Nebraska supporters, listen up. Alumni and parents have formed the One Nebraska Coalition. We are students, business owners, farmers, ranchers, and retirees who believe Nebraska needs a vibrant and affordable public university system. Whether you're a Husker, Maverick, Loper, NCTA Aggie, or have been impacted by UNMC, join us in standing for the University of Nebraska. Join One Nebraska's growing coalition for free at one as in O-N-E hyphen Nebraska.org. In today's fast-paced world of agriculture, producers need accurate market information they can trust. Our program, The Fontenelle Final Bell, gives you a chance to ask the experts your marketing questions. I'm Susan Littlefield with the Rural Radio Network. Join us for The Fontenelle Final Bell podcast each trading day as we dig deeper into the factors shaping the day's market activity. Tweet your questions to RRN Markets and catch The Fontenelle Final Bell podcast updated each weekday afternoon at ruralradio.com. You can also search Rural Radio on iTunes and tune in. 
Farmers could get cash aid by October, but will not be made whole. I'm Shaylee Peters with you on the Rural Radio Network as we take a look at your midday ag news for a Monday. U.S. farmers could receive cash payments from a planned $12 billion aid package as soon as late September. U.S. Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue told Reuters on Saturday, warning that the program will not make tariff hit farmers whole. Purdue said in an interview on the sidelines of the G20 meeting of agriculture ministers in Buenos Aires that the plan would include between 7 and $8 billion in direct cash relief. U.S. growers are expected to take an $11 billion hit due to retaliatory tariffs after Washington placed duties on Chinese goods. Obviously, this is not going to make farmers whole, Purdue said. The program includes cash for farmers of soybeans, sorghum, corn, wheat, cotton, dairy, and hogs. It offers government purchases of fruit, nuts, rice, legumes, beef, pork, and milk for distribution to food banks and nutrition programs. And it promises a trade promotion program to develop new markets. Only about $200 million will go toward the expansion of trade missions, Purdue said. The aid plan, a response to retaliatory trade measures on U.S. farm exports, is intended only for the current crop cycle, he said. It's for the 2018 crop. We do not expect to do this over a period of time. President Donald Trump announced the program last week to mixed reactions from U.S. Midwest growers and legislators who said they object to the administration's tariffs. The aid will make use of a Great Depression-era program. Starting on September 4th, farmers can apply for help. They will be asked to provide data on their current crops. We expect the checks to go out in late September or October. As soon as they prove their yields, Purdue said, they will be based on actual production, not historical averages. And last week, the Dairy Experience Forum took place in Bloomington, Minnesota. A Nebraska dairy producer was there. Bill Thiel of Clearwater, Nebraska, talks about what he took away from the forum. You know, one of the things was uh, that there's a great diversity in, in what today's consumer is, is looking for. Uh, it's not a one-size one way mold anymore to meet the expectations of those out there that we have to be creative in what we're promoting and what we're coming up with for new products and uh, and yet in that they again they still trust us still nature's perfect food and we keep right on doing what we do even in tough times And members, delegates, and global staff from the U.S. Grains Council have gathered in Denver for the organization's 58th annual Board of Delegates meeting starting today and running through Wednesday. We gather at this meeting to discuss the dynamic and developing environment for global grains trade as well as demand opportunities for feed grains and their co-products around the world, said Deb Keller, USGC chairman and farmer from Iowa. Our goal is always to better understand agriculture's role in world trade and how to maintain good working relationships with our international trading partners while we explore new export frontiers. Ambassador Carla Hills, former U.S. trade representative and now head of a trade-focused consulting firm, addressed the group this morning in the first general session. She's joined by Zheng Ling Wei, Council for the Agricultural, Economic, and Commercial Affairs at the Embassy of the People's Republic of China, Dan Pearson, former chairman of the U.S. International Trade Commission, and Eric Cuss, director of USDA's Agricultural Trade Office in Mexico. Rural Radio Network is out providing coverage of this meeting, and you can find updates by visiting ruralradio.com. That's a look to your midday ag news. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.
Omaha-based CHI Health has established a community garden to offer more access to healthy food for its patients. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Alex Wojcicki reporting. I spoke with Thomas Strawmeyer. He's a nurse practitioner at the Omaha location who spearheaded this project. He said that after a year of driving by an empty lot next to the hospital, he decided it would be a great place for a community garden for the patients and the locals. So some of the things we hope uh, that it'll bring to our patients is a place to gather, for one, uh, a place to draw in communities. There's several, you know, elementary schools around. Uh, we have a large um, homeless population that kind of goes in and out. Uh, we have a large multicultural immigrant population that we service as well. And then there's all these apartments right up uh, above where our clinics is. So, you know, having the diversity of different cultures, different foods that we're growing, different uses, um, bringing the cultures in our community together so I can learn something about theirs and they can learn something about mine would be impressive. Strawmeyer continued saying the community garden will bring more than just fresh produce to the patients. We're hoping to encourage people to understand that, you know, uh, like the behavioral health therapists that work with us, going out and spending time in a garden in nature can help to reduce stress and anxiety. And, you know, the nutritionist can talk with their patients about What's the nutritional value of a, a tomato versus pizza sauce from a jar at store that's full of sugar? So hopefully we can translate some of what we talk about in the clinic to a real sense. The therapist can go down there and say, this is how you lift properly, or if you're going to work down at ground level, this is how you work, or you raise your surface and work in one of the raised beds. Looking to the future, Strawmeyer would like to see other CHI health locations begin their own garden. Oh, yeah, I think there's several of the CHI family that wants to participate and have their own. I think I think we're lacking the vision to see, you know, take the traditional sense of taking care of patients in a room and take them out into a different setting and say, how can I apply this? to get my point across or to get lifestyle change. Although the garden hasn't been established for very long yet, Strawmeyer hopes the locals will get involved and donate their time to make it successful in years to come. There's just so many different applications of, of what we can use. Hopefully, hopefully we can get community members to come in and say, you know, I want to donate my time and not just our money or this or that. So if somebody does landscaping and wants to put a patio out there to where people can go and uh, sit and have lunch or where people can meet and have classes, things like that is what we really hope to do is draw in people from the community, uh, both of the underserved portion of the community to help give them something, um, a place to grow some produce or give away produce for those who are food insecure, as well as a place for people who are prominent in the community and have businesses in the community to come and say, yes, I I would support the people that uh, work and live in my community to better it. In addition to Strawmeyer's efforts, CHI hopes to hire a community health worker to educate families about urban agriculture and help them plant gardens of their very own. Reporting from the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, This is the Rural Radio Network. 
time for us to take a look at sports. Here's Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Scott. Well, new Nebraska football coach Scott Frost has had an estimated $165,000 in memorabilia taken from his home in Lincoln. Police told the Lincoln Journal-Star today that burglars entered the home through an unlocked garage between Friday at 5.30 and 6 o'clock last night. To this point, no arrests have been made. Going into this season, a schedule looks tough for Frost and the Huskers. NU's biggest non-conference game would be that home matchup against Colorado in September. And Frost says he'd actually like to see this trend continue. Listen, going forward, I'd love to see our scheduling model be our, our one big non-conference game, be a, a traditional Big 8 or Big 12 opponent. I know we got Oklahoma coming up. I'd love to see us play Kansas State and Iowa State and teams that our, our fans used to go to, that they can drive to and support us. Colorado's one of them. Uh, It's nostalgic for our fans, and and it used to be a great rivalry, and I'm glad we have it. The Huskers are scheduled to start fall workouts in early August. Defending national champion North Dakota State has been unanimously picked to win the Missouri Valley Conference title. The FCS powerhouse, which has won or shared the league crown in each of the last seven seasons, received all 39 first-place votes. South Dakota State was picked second, followed by Northern Iowa, Youngstown State, and Illinois State. And CSU Pueblo and Colorado Mesa, who were co-RMAC champions a year ago, finished first or second in their preseason poll. The Thunderwolves garnered eight of the 11 first-place votes. The Mavericks finished second with one first-place vote. Now, the Thunderwolves finished last year 9-3 and three with a 9-1 and one mark in the RMAC to earn their sixth title in the last seven years. Shadron State, they're picked to finish fifth. Iowa offensive lineman Tristan Wirfs was arrested over the weekend and charged with driving while intoxicated. Iowa City police records show that Wirfs, a tackle entering his sophomore season, was taken into custody early before 2 a.m. on Sunday morning. Now The Hawkeyes have yet to announce any punishment for him, who is a native of Mount Vernon, Iowa. And an estimated 50,000 fans gathered outside the Clark Sports Center in the village of Cooperstown, New York, for the annual Baseball Hall of Fame induction ceremony. Sluggers and first battle electees Chipper Jones and Jim Tomey headlined a class that also included Vladimir Guerrero and Trevor Hoffman, along with former Detroit stars Jack Morse and Alan Trammell. With the six new inductees, a record 57 Living Hall of Famers were on the stage. That is a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. For the remainder of the day, partly cloudy with a chance of afternoon showers and thunderstorms, high 73. Winds north to northeast at 10 to 15 mile an hour. Chance of rain at 60%. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Evan Jones. Nebraska Korean War veterans were honored for their service and sacrifice in a ceremony at the state capitol rotunda on Friday. Governor Pete Ricketts spoke. Your sacrifices matter and made a difference. Nebraska had about 14,000 Korean War veterans. At the ceremony at the state capitol rotunda, 90 Korean War veterans were awarded the Ambassador for Peace Medal. The Deputy Consulate General for the Republic of Korea in Chicago, Dong Han Yang, attended and spoke. I believe the ultimate tribute to the U.S. veterans lies in what Korea has achieved. I hope you can take pride in the miracle you helped Korea to achieve. July 27th is the official anniversary of the Korean War Armistice Day, which ended the fighting on the Korean Peninsula. Copper wire thieves appear to be targeting center pivots lately, according to Jeremiah Johnson of Central Valley Irrigation in Holdridge. It would be the span cable, the uh, wire that goes down the top of the pivot, that uh, powers the pivot, that controls the pivot. Um, It's copper wire. 
um, that uh, we suspect is being stolen for the price of the copper. The thefts have been occurring in Kearney and Buffalo counties. Johnson says it can cost a producer from $3,000 to $6,000 to make repairs for the thefts and vandalism. If you see some suspicious activity going on when there's not a pickup that's plainly labeled as an irrigation company, it might raise an eyebrow, it might be worth checking into, and uh, seeing that it's, everybody's doing what they're supposed to be. The thief or thieves appear to be brazen as Johnson says span cable thefts have been generally occurring from easily accessible pivots that are close to roads. New Nebraska football coach Scott Frost has had an estimated $165,000 in memorabilia taken from his home in Lincoln. Lincoln police told the Lincoln Journal Star on Monday that burglars entered the home through the unlocked garage between Friday at 5.30 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sunday. Captain Jerry Roeder said two Nebraska championship rings, ten Oregon championship rings, two Central Florida championship rings, five pairs of Air Jordan shoes, and a gaming console are missing. Roeder said Frost and his family don't live in the home yet because it is under renovation. No arrests have been made. A Wichita artist says he's elated that a sculpture of Mighty Mouse that was stolen from his home has been returned. Christopher Golick says the 200-pound wooden sculpture was taken from his front porch Wednesday. KSNW-TV reports a Wichita resident called police after discovering the mouse in his yard on Sunday. Storm Center coverage 24-7. Catch it on air, on Twitter, Facebook, and online at krvn.com. From the News Center, I'm Evan Jones. To continue to make progress, you have to continually think outside the box, look past the norm. And there's one energy group in North Dakota that's looking at alternative fuel sources for their ethanol plants, but they're also looking at using the byproducts for maybe a little bit higher margin type commodity when it comes to aquaculture. The Rural Radio Network looks into it further. I'm Clay Patton. Thank you for joining us here today. And we learn about Midwest Ag Energy, and we're talking with Adam Dunlop, Technical Services Director for Midwest Ag Energy. And Adam, as we get started here, you guys are taking what uh, a group in Montana was working on and looking at using barley for ethanol and then the byproduct of that ethanol-making process, using that for food and aquaculture. So kind of talk to us about what the project is now, bringing it more to the industrial side. Sure, and, and thanks, Clay, for the opportunity today. Uh, so, so at Midwest Ag Energy, we own and operate a couple of uh, biorefineries in, in North Dakota. One's located in Spiritwood and the other wood in, in Underwood. And we, we kind of continuously evaluate what are the best uses for those assets. As you alluded to, that, that's kind of led us to be introduced to a company called uh, Montana Microbial Products, who along with the USDA hold a patent on the production and use of barley into aquaculture. And this process really appealed to us because there's a lot of similarities between uh, their, their patented process and a, a traditional dry grind ethanol plant. So today we're investigating if we can source between four and six and a half million bushels per year of barley in our geography to produce between seven and 12 million gallons of biofuel and also produce between 15 and 25,000 tons per year of barley protein concentrate. And uh, the barley protein concentrate is roughly 60% protein and is used in, in aquaculture. Uh, along the way, we had interest from the North Dakota Industrial Commission, in particular their Renewable Energy Commission, uh, who also saw value in this opportunity. And so we're, we're currently doing on a feasibility level study 
I consider plowing a mile wide and, and an inch deep where we take a look at all the aspects of this business opportunity. So primarily focusing in four areas being uh, feasibility, front-end engineering and design, uh, looking at the North Dakota barley supply, taking a look at market analysis for aquaculture feed, as well as advanced biofuels, which we believe this could produce, uh, and, and looking at uh, some of the regulatory uh, hurdles that we'd have to go through to get to the, the end game on this process, so working with the FDA on feed quality or the EPA on the fuel pathway required to produce an advanced biofuel from barley. A fairly comprehensive study that we're, we're undertaking right now in terms of feasibility. Adam, you're just kind of on the beginnings portion of this study, looking at all the aspects of it, but you were talking about the barley and making sure that you could secure large enough sources in the immediate area to continue to fuel the plants in the duration that you would want to use barley here for your fuels and for your byproduct. On the surface, does it look like that's going to be attainable? Are producers, by chance, interested as well in partnering with the plant? Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd say we've had great uh, amount of interest since the, the story first kind of came out. Uh, one of the interesting things about the barley we're interested in securing that maybe is is different from uh, the, the barley produced for the most part for uh, malting purposes is we're actually looking for high-protein feed barley. So we'd be interested in barley over 14.5% protein. And as, as it relates to the way the process works today, a high plumpness as well. Would be, would be very interesting to us. Barley production in North Dakota has tapered off as corn and soybeans have continued to increase. There's a lot of reasons why folks want to reintroduce or keep barley in their crop rotation in our geography. And I think we'll be able to source it, but we need to, you know, do, do our due diligence and ensure that we can, we can source uh, the quality and, and the specifications that we desire. And the aquaculture industry in North Dakota, does it look to be able to support as well the buying of the byproduct there in that meal and that excess of the, uh, what comes from the, the fuel making process, what's left afterwards? Yeah, sure. And, and I would point out that in this instance, actually, the ethanol would be the byproduct or the lower value product and, and the barley protein concentrate would be the higher value uh, product produced. What we can say, with, as it relates to, to the market of that is we know that there's a growing world need for protein and then we know that fish are one of the most efficient organisms at converting a protein into tissue. Uh, we know that since 1990 the amount of fish harvested from the ocean has been pretty much level. Well, we've continued to see a huge increase in demand as our, our internationally we're a protein deficient society and, and fish is one of the great ways that uh, folks are getting protein throughout the world. In fact, uh, in 2015, there's more fish harvested from aquaculture and put on the, the table than there was wild-caught fish. Uh, so along with with uh, the amount of fish being farmed, they need feed, and that's where uh, we, we think we can fit into the, the equation. We've seen a large amount of study done on barley protein concentrate in several large fish feeding trials, and it says that we should be able to displace fish meal uh, from from the marketplace. So it wouldn't necessarily be a North Dakota local market, but a national and international market that we'd be looking into. That again, Adam Dunlop, Technical Service Director for Midwest Ag Energy. This is the Rural Radio Network.
Tech stocks are pulling the U.S. indexes lower. With the Midday Business Report for Monday, I'm Bob Brogan. Another slump in technology stocks is pulling major U.S. indexes lower, offsetting gains in energy companies. Twitter fell another 6.4% in midday trading today, following a 20.5% nosedive on Friday after the company reported a decline in monthly users. Heavy machinery maker Caterpillar rose 2.4% after reporting a strong quarter. Asset Manager Affiliated Managers Group jumped 4.2% after its own results surpassed analyst estimates. Tyson Foods is citing higher tariffs and uncertainty about trade policies in cutting its profit forecast. The Springdale, Arkansas-based company said today the tariffs are primarily affecting chicken and pork prices in the U.S. and elsewhere. President Donald Trump has imposed tariffs on a range of goods, and China retaliated with tariffs on U.S. exports. Tariffs on steel and aluminum have pressured automakers, and General Motors also cut its outlook for the year. More Americans signed contracts to purchase homes in June compared to May, but the volume of pending sales has slipped over the past year. The National Association of Realtors says that its pending home sales index rose 9 tenths percent last month to 1069 but on a yearly basis, pending home sales have fallen 2.5%. There are signs that home buying has stalled in recent months due to the mix of rising prices, higher mortgage rates, and a dearth of sales listings. Harley-Davidson says it will roll out some new products in stores to broaden its audience and invigorate sales. The American Motorcycle Company, facing dwindling sales in its home market, is introducing smaller bikes, electric engines, online sales, and urban storefronts. With sales rising in Asia and India, Harley-Davidson says it's developing smaller bikes, but it has no plans to pull back on manufacturing its big bikes. With the Business Report, I'm Bob Brogan. Hi, this is Jim Baldonado. Good afternoon. Dewey Nelson with a market report on the World Radio Network. Shortly before the close, we still remain on the plus side in these grain and soybean futures. We are off the highs. The winter wheat futures leading the way. September corn, 368. December, 382 and a quarter, both up six. March, 392 and a half, up five and three quarters. August soybeans, 875, up four and a half. September, 880 and three quarters. November, 890 and three quarters, both up five and a half. Chicago September wheat now 547 and a quarter up 16 and three quarters. December 567 up 17. September Kansas City wheat 548 and a quarter. December 575 and a quarter both up 15 and three quarters. Minneapolis September wheat 601 and a quarter. December 615 both up eight and three quarters. Cattle futures settled lower today. Lean hogs mixed. August live cattle, 108.42, down 20. October, 109.80, down 67. December, 113.45, down 70. February, 116.77. April, 118.10, they're both down 60. August feeder cattle settled 151.50, down 80. September, 151.35, down 82. October, 151.77, down 97. November, 151.40, down 110. August lean hogs settled 63.30, down 35, but the deferreds were all higher. October at 51.22, up 35. December 46.60, up 15. Wall Street this hour. 
The Dow down 69 at 25,381. The Nasdaq down 86 at 7,651. The S&P 500 down 8 at 2,809. Aurora Cooperative is your partner in the field. That's why they're a proud sponsor of the Rural Radio Forum, Stress and Agriculture. You are not alone. Through both the highs and the lows, Aurora Co-op is working alongside you to make the most profitable decision for your farm. Their goal is to help your agribusiness be more successful, which also eases the stress on your family. Let professionals help you at home, and they'll help you in the field. Aurora Cooperative. Tougher together, Aurora and you. Nebraska weather is serious. It's harsh, it's unrelenting, and sometimes it's dangerous. But the threatening skies are what makes Nebraskans strong. They shape us, strengthen us, and build character. It's part of what makes Nebraska home. When you need Nebraska weather, trust News Channel Nebraska 24 hours a day. News Channel Nebraska. This is home. Back on the Rural Radio Network as we get a review of the livestock futures trade from Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, kind of a tough day in the uh, cattle. Going to finish lower, not uh, not terribly lower, but lower. Uh, we failed once again, uh, uh, despite the fact that cash, uh, we saw some $1.12 cattle traded uh, late in, on Friday and uh, we started out higher, but uh, slipped during the day. Cutouts were a little bit better. That didn't seem to have a great deal of an effect on the uh, market. I think it held it uh, up a little bit better than uh, uh, where we were. It did bring us back up off our lows. Uh, but it, not a very uh, good day. A lot of bull spreading, uh, buying the front end, selling the back. Uh, and that kept the uh, nearby August uh, just marginally lower. The feeders under a little bit more pressure as uh, uh, grains making another uh, shot up. That puts more pressure on the uh, on the feeders, uh, but uh, didn't uh, stop them from uh, staying lower all day long. The hogs, I guess, would be looked at as uh, the ones that made the best move. Uh, they finished mixed to mostly higher. The uh, August in. Uh, uh, contract was the one that uh, slipped and uh, uh, that due to the fact that cash sharply lower again cut out sharply lower but because of the, the uh, big discounts in the uh, hogs that uh, kept the uh, back end a little bit higher thanks joe you can reach joe teal at great plains commodities 800-328-0134 you're listening to the rural radio network with you here on the Rural Radio Network, Midwest Dairy hosted a program called the Dairy Experience Forum in Bloomington, Minnesota. One of those that was in attendance from Nebraska, Bill Teal, a producer from Clearwater, Nebraska. Bill, uh, this first time for a conference like this, your first time attendee in the first year. What did you think of the conference? You know, actually, Chad, I was uh, really, really pleased with it. Uh, there was a couple different items that I uh, was looking forward to, and, and uh, they turned out to be real worth while uh, one of the first things on the agenda up here was uh, a panel of consumers which were asked questions not knowing they were in front of a dairy audience uh-huh. and uh, 
it was it was really enlightening. Um, it it kind of guided the principals through the rest of the conference about how we should be directing our our efforts uh, promoting dairy, and uh, it was also kind of pleasant to be reinforced that. Uh, the consumers still have faith in us here as producers and suppliers of food for the nation. Yeah. So what did they say or what sort of insights did they offer you think that take it back to the dairy farm and, and kind of mean something to you? Well, you know, one of the things was uh, that there's a great diversity in, in what today's consumer is, is looking for. Um, it's not a one-size one way mold anymore to meet the expectations of those out there that we have to be creative in what we're promoting and what we're coming up with for new products and uh, and yet in that they again they still trust us still nature's perfect food and yeah. we keep right on doing what we do even in tough times I know the on the policy side, uh, National Milk and dairy organizations have been pushing FDA for a long, long time on the name, on the term milk, and it finally sounds like there's this is starting to turn. Uh, what do you think of that uh, decision to pursue that by FDA? What does that mean? Well, you know, I think there's a few hundred people here at this conference, and I pretty much saw a smile across everyone's face on that. I think uh, we've been fighting that battle and, and trying to bring that to the forefront that not everything in the dairy case is truly dairy and not everything that says milk in its name is uh, from a lactating mammal and uh, it sounds like they're finally going to be some teeth put into enforcing what's already um, a law um, from the FDA and that's changing so uh, that's that's music to all of our ears that's for sure it's good that ag can stand together like that just as we kind of wrap things up bill uh, you know final thoughts from the forum what are you walking away with from the forum it's always tough to w- go away from home we always seem like we've all got things to do and they should have mm-hmm. been done yesterday and now you make time uh, for one more thing but that, these are important um, I guess again a takeaway message is there's always more to know about this business and a lot of times you just got to get out and uh, get away from the same old same old and uh, kind of confer and meet and talk to others that do what you do and and uh, learn from them and move forward I was gonna say kind of go home energized huh exactly all right very good well bill it's good to talk to you thanks for taking the time and coming to that forum appreciate it okay thanks chad all right again we've been visiting with bill teal from clearwater nebraska dairy farmer from northeast nebraska in attendance in bloomington for the dairy experience forum hosted by midwest dairy here on the rural radio network chad moyer reporting Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. We end the day higher in grain and soybean futures. And to talk about this, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with uh, Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. But we had these winter wheat futures grabbing the spotlight, didn't we? We did. Um, really, you know, kind of similar price action to last Wednesday night, Thursday morning. We got the push-up in the Sunday night trade. And as we got into the day session, really couldn't hold the gains. Um, 
spring wheat, which has kind of led this market higher, was about 10 off its highs. So I'm a little bit nervous here going to the close that maybe we've made a, an early week high, given that the crop progress numbers are going to show probably a pretty good level. But as we saw in the spring wheat tour last week, maybe that doesn't matter. So it'll be all disregarded. But a good price action for the start of the week, that's for sure. All right. What did you like about corn and soybeans on numbers as far as December corn today? Well, we got through 380 and settled there, and that's a good start for the week here. Uh, 383 is a 50-day moving average. We haven't been above that since May. So that seems like kind of a logical point for, for pricing. Um, you know, had you been listening to me on the radio, I probably would have priced your corn five or six cents ago. So at this point, if you haven't done it yet, I still had, would keep to that advice that, uh, you know, early corn needs to find a home. And, and that's, you know, through basis contracts or, you know, through negotiation with your end user, ethanol plant, whatever. But I do worry here in the short term we're going to see a massive amount of supply hit the market all at once. I think the market is ready for it when you look at the spread differences. And when I'm talking about that, I look at corn for SEP delivery versus corn for March delivery. You're looking at almost 25 cents difference between those two contracts uh, months. You go for year over year, December to December uh, 19, you're looking at 25 cents there. So there's a huge amount of supply that's priced in. So, you know, when you're speaking about corn fundamentally, you could sound your, you could sound very bearish based off that, or you could simply say, well, the market knows that. It's very aware that all of this corn is going to be available here, uh, given how far apart the December and September contracts are. And in soybeans, fundamentally, is it positive? Well, I like the meal trade, you know, continue to push here, 335, uh, you know, soybean conditions, and that's really where we are right now. We're in that time of the year where we're going to look forward to August, and I don't know how it is in Nebraska today. It looked like things were maybe a little warmer than they have been in the last couple of weeks, but um, out this way, we're, we're high 70s, mid-80s at best for the next two weeks with some rain sprinkled in. So at this point, it's a debate on yield, and we'll probably continue to debate that through the I think it's Thursday of next week is the USDA report, so we've got a long time to go before we find out where the USDA stands, and I expect maybe more of a chop as we get into the back end of this week, maybe make an early high this week. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago. Go to their website, danielzagmarketing.com, or you can call 866-825-8561.